you could tell the first was Philibert Force. It's what happens when they put the tube down your throat between your vocal cords. So please pray that that will get healed so I can start singing again. Or if you don't like the way I sing, then you can pray that it doesn't get healed. It's up to you. But uh, hopefully you'll pray for that healing there. So, great passage here. And I'll start uh, with verse uh, 1. Father God, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Father, that you enliven it to our hearts today. Give faith in us that we might live it out through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let your spirit rest on me that I can bring your word to your people through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now on the first day of the week, we imagine to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, by the way, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter, because he was younger and a little bit more fit, uh, outran Peter uh, and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came to him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. The disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. Whereas yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 
Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, and put your hand sit in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those, he's talking about us people, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Hallelujah. The Lord has risen from the grave. Yeah. And so have I. Oh, you know, kind of amazing. A lot of us said, a lot of people were saying, Easter Sunday was the day. You know, and Karen kept saying, well, you could just preach from home. And I said, no, I got to be standing in the church, even though it's freezing here in the church. Our home is nice and warm today. By the way, this is a side note. We do want to resume in-person worship as soon as possible. Uh, the government's still not allowing us to sing congregationally, which is a bit annoying. Uh, but as soon as the weather warms up so that we can open the doors for the church, we will resume in-person worship. At the moment, it, it really is kind of cool in the sanctuary. And after this week, it's going to be very cool. But it's exciting today because today is the most important day of the year. It's Resurrection Sunday. Now, I know all of you guys believe in the resurrection of Jesus, especially those of you sitting in this room, because you wouldn't be freezing here if you didn't. So, you know, that's, that's good. And a lot of times on Resurrection Sunday, I spend some time talking about the truth of the resurrection and how the resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. But Karen's already done that with the kids. And if you're joining in with the live stream and you haven't seen that, well, just know this. Jesus rose from the dead after dying on the cross, rose on the third day bodily, and he is alive. And that's true. It's a historical fact, and we've got to deal with that. And the way to deal with it is by surrendering your life to Jesus. And if you've not done that, do it now, because that is the key to having life. But when you look at this passage, 
and it's a great passage from John, I think there's some other lessons that we need to draw from this passage that are very important for us that a lot of times we miss as Christians. And so I'm going to look at four different lessons, four different things that we can learn from this resurrection passage that's important for us. Now, it's great how it starts out. Mary Magdalene, she gets there like good and faithful women, gets there early to the tomb because what she's going to do, she's going to decorate. She's going to do it right so that Jesus has a right kind of memorial because she thinks he's dead. But she gets to the tomb, the stone is rolled away, looks inside, there's no body. Oh, what does she do? She runs to get Peter and John and says, hey, Pete, John, somebody's stolen the body of the Lord. It's gone. Come and see. And so here goes Peter and John. John was probably, oh, 15, 16 years old at most at that time. Peter was a bit older. John's a bit faster. He gets there first, but he's a little timid. So he just looks inside. Peter gets there. And he runs inside. You know the kind of guy Peter is. He runs inside. He sees the cloth lying there. He sees all the things that are going on. And they're like, wow, what's happened here? You know, it's clearly not somebody just stolen the body because no idiot would unwrap a dead body to take it away. That wouldn't happen. I mean, after a couple of days, I mean, they, they put stuff on the cloth and everything like that have been gross. So you wouldn't do that. So they're like, what in the world is going on here? And they're amazed. And so they do what any normal person would do, right? They go home. What's this? You're going home. This is crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'd like, I'd like to hope I'd I'd like to think, well, I am a typical man. Excuse me a sec. I'd like to think that I would have at least looked around the, the graveyard to see if I could find something. But they're like, wow, he's gone. It's kind of cool. Hey, let's go home and have some breakfast, man. And they go. And then what happens? Mary, after they walk away, I mean... Again, who's the person with the most sense in this story? It's Mary. Mary, she hangs out, looks back in the tomb, and then she sees angels, and the angels explain what's happened, and then she sees Jesus resurrected from the dead. Now, James and John, I mean, John... And Peter could have seen the same thing. But they went home. So what's the first lesson? The first lesson here is that we need to choose to linger because you can miss angels and you can even miss the Lord. You know, we're living lives where we're rushing to and fro. We're rushing in and out. We're running around all over the place. And we can get 
so hurried and go so quickly from one thing to another to another that we can miss what God is doing. So we need to discipline ourselves to choose to linger. To choose, especially at those key moments when we have a sense that something has just happened, to stop and pause and wait. Take some time, listen, look, because if you don't, you might actually miss the most important thing that God is doing. You see, Peter and John, they missed the important stuff. They saw that the tomb was empty, but they missed the fact of the angels announcing what was happening, and they missed the Lord himself. So lesson number one is that we must choose to linger, wait, take our time, because otherwise we might miss the angels and we might miss the Lord. So the story goes on, and here's Mary, and she sees Jesus, although Jesus says, hey woman, what you up to? Sounds like kind of me, you know? And she thinks he's a gardener. And she says, well, you know, if you've taken the body, bring it back, because somebody's stolen the body of the Lord. And then finally Jesus says, Mary. And there was something in his voice she finally, she turns around, says, Rabboni, holy cow, it's you. Well, she probably didn't say holy cow. Yeah, you know, probably not the holy cow. That's a little embellishment. But she said, Jesus, it's you. And she grabs onto him. And Jesus says, hey, don't cling to me because I've not yet gone to my father. But go and tell the disciples about all this stuff. The second lesson here is that we must not cling to our previous experiences of Jesus and what we think we know about Jesus. Jesus has more to do in your life, in my life, in our church, in our world than we know right now. And he'll tell us some of it, but he won't tell us everything. But the problem is, for so many Christians, what they do is they cling on to what they learned about Jesus in the past. They cling on to their experience. So they had an experience with Jesus when they were 12 or 14 or 15 or 20. And they hold on to that experience. They try to cling on instead of allowing Jesus to move on in their lives and accomplish the more that Jesus wants to do. And we can get stuck because I guarantee you, you don't know everything there is to know about Jesus. There's more to learn every single day, and there will be more to learn throughout eternity with Jesus. I guarantee you, 
you might have had the most dramatic conversion experience known to humanity. You might have been knocked down by the power of the Holy Spirit, but I guarantee you there is more of Jesus to experience than what you've experienced. So we can't cling on to what we think we know. We can't cling on to the experience of the past. We need to let go and carry on with the mission that the Lord has given us. And that's exactly what Mary did. She heard from Jesus. She was clinging. Jesus said, woman, don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me right now. Go back. Tell the guys I'm going to go up to see the Father. And it's their Father too. And their God too. And, uh, and there's going to be an awesome time. Go tell them. And so she did that ministry. And by the way, she was the first evangelist. She was the first one. A woman was the first one to witness to Jesus. Pardon me. Not very good when you can't mute yourself. So, so she goes, and then she's hanging out with the guys. They're all excited, wondering what's, what's happened, but they got the door locked because the Jewish leaders had just crucified Jesus. They didn't want to be next. So suddenly, Jesus is there. He's standing with them. He says, hey guys, don't be afraid. Then what does he do? He immediately shows them his hands and his side. He shows them the scars. And then they knew it was Jesus. We recognize Jesus by his scars, not by his resurrected body. And he was there in his resurrected body. But they got to know Jesus. They confirmed it was Jesus by his scars. We know Jesus by his scars. But let me tell you, the other lesson we need to learn here is that we know each other by our scars. I trust no leader unless I can see their scars. And you shouldn't either. There's no church leader that's worthy of trust who hasn't experienced serious pain, difficulty, and suffering as a church leader. Pardon me. <clears throat> I want to be clear here. I'm not talking about the scars we get because we do stupid stuff. We all do that, right? You know, if you've done something dumb and you bear scars, there's no credit to you for that. What we're talking about are the scars that have come because we've suffered for other people. We've suffered in following the Lord. We've gone through difficulties. We've sacrificed of ourselves. Those are the kinds of things that we need to look at. I don't value a Christian 
because they can speak well, because they can sing well, because they have a lot of talent, or because they have a lot of success. I value the Christians who have been there sacrificing, suffering, giving themselves for other people, even when people didn't see them or notice what they were doing. That is the value there. It's amazing, the resurrection. But the resurrection would have no value if it wasn't for the cross. If it wasn't for the fact that Jesus died on the cross and bore the scars there. And what we try to do so often is we look at leaders and Christians, not just leaders, but Christians, and we want to evaluate them based on their success. But success is not something on which to evaluate anyone. Okay, we all know the name Bill Gates. Everybody knows Bill Gates. They know what he did. They know he's one of the richest men in the world. You know, if Bill Gates had been born five years earlier or five years later, the likelihood is you would have no idea who he was. He would not have started Microsoft. But it's the time period in which he was born and the discoveries that would emerge that actually laid the foundation for Microsoft to have been founded. Now, somebody else might have founded it, but Bill Gates wouldn't have, and you never would have heard of him. One of the things we learn now is because of the pandemic, many people who are starting school now, or a university, are going to be disadvantaged in the job market. Now, if somebody 20 years from now is earning less because they just so happen to have started university at the same time as a pandemic, does that make them less successful? No. You know, that lack of success that they have does not determine their worth or their value as an individual. You see, success depends on so many factors, so many different factors that are outside of our control. Even things like where you were born. Were you born in the United States? Were you born on one of the coasts? Were you born in the Midwest? All of these things. There is no real mark to admire in any Christian based on their supposed success. Because all of our success flows out of the resurrection. But we will know Christians by their scars. How have they suffered? How have they sacrificed? How have they given themselves for others? What are the little things that they do? They don't get credit for, but they do it faithfully, day in, day out. Those are the things, those are the marks of real Christians 
And I tell you, there are a lot of people in our church that bear these marks right now, and we don't always recognize it. But I tell you, they are known in heaven because of the scars that they carry, the marks that they bear. And that's something that we all can aspire to. To lay down our lives, to do good for other people, to sacrifice, because in the end, we're known by our scars, just as Jesus was known by his scars. Well, of course, one guy wasn't there that day, good old Thomas. We all know Thomas's story. He pops in late to the party, like usual, and, uh, and he says, well, you guys, I think you guys were hitting the Passover wine a little bit too hard. Had too much left over, and I am not going to believe what you're telling me unless I can see Jesus in person. Of course, we know what happens. Eight days later, they're all gathered together. Doors are locked. Jesus stands there. Once again, he says, hey, don't freak out, guys. It's me. And then he says to Thomas, hey, Thomas, go ahead. Put your finger here. Oh, here's my side. Go ahead. Stick your hand there. Thomas does what any of us would do at that moment. Falls on the ground and says, Oy vey, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, hey, dude, don't disbelieve. Believe. And I say, you know, you're believing because you saw me, but really blessed are those who believe who haven't seen me. So the fourth lesson here, what the Jesus said, don't disbelieve, but believe. The normal pattern for our life is a pattern toward disbelieving the things of God. We've all been conditioned to disbelieve. We've all been raised to disbelieve. You know, I was raised by a mother who really loved Jesus, but at the same time, everything around me was telling me not to believe. Thankfully, I had good Christian friends around me that were saying believe, but the normal pattern of life is for us to move away from believing to where we start to disbelieve. And Jesus tells us, don't disbelieve, but believe. The choice to believe, the choice to have faith, is a choice that we need to make every single day. In the morning, you get up, say, Jesus, I believe in you. I'm going to follow you today. I surrender my life to you today. I choose to believe, and I refuse to disbelieve. And that's a daily choice that we have to make in Jesus Christ. And we can make that daily choice because even though the circumstances of our lives will change every single day, one thing does not change any day, and that is Jesus is alive. Jesus has risen from the dead. He is alive. 
Hallelujah. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you. We honor you. We worship you. We adore you. And we thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would teach us to linger and to look for you and how you're working. I pray that you teach us not to cling on to our past experiences, what we thought we knew about Jesus, but to look forward to the future. I pray that you would teach us that you would teach us to recognize one another by the scars and not by some empty successes. And I pray that you would teach us every day to walk in belief, to walk in faith. We refuse to disbelieve. We choose to believe. We love you and we praise you. We worship you and adore you. And pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's take a moment. If you have your stuff at home,